Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This highly practical podcast series explores HR and management hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Brought to you by Actors Software, our aim is to build a better workplace for people. The HR Uprising is about collaborating and supporting each other to build the confidence and skills to rise up to each challenge and deliver real, lasting business value. You can find out more at hruprising.com or join our LinkedIn community. Now introducing your host, chartered psychologist, best-selling author, entrepreneur and speaker, Lucinda Carney. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast episode. And it's all about long-term well-being strategies, which I think is quite important for us as we return to the workplace, isn't it? Just before we go into this episode, which is a solo episode, so I hope you find it useful, I wanted to mention that we've just relaunched our uh, our new virtual training programmes. They will be running after Easter, so I think from about the 15th of April. So there's some places available on both the Change Superhero course, which is one I run personally for anyone who is going to be managing change themselves or just wants to become more expert in change. So that's ideal for people, professionals, um, or anyone else who, say, who's involved in managing change. The other programme which has been incredibly popular is the Virtual People Manager programme. We've been running it as an open course, but also as a number of in-house programmes and courses. So if you're looking for something for your organisation to help give your line managers the skills that they need to get the best out of their people in maybe a slightly, maybe you're going to be in a hybrid workplace, then that programme might be something that is of interest to you. Any of these courses, you can get the links from the HR Uprising um, website, hruprising.com, or from our Actus website. So do check those out if you think that um, training might be something that's a, requir- a requirement for your area. It is a great way to recharge uh, people to make sure they have a sense of well-being, is giving them the right skills. And, uh, and on to that very topic of well-being now. I hope you enjoy this week's podcast episode. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And this week we're going to talk about resilience. Some might call it grit. Some might think about it as long-term well-being strategies. And I know from history, whenever I've done topics on well-being, that actually as an audience, we haven't been brilliant. Well, they've not been the most popular episodes, however important they might be. I don't know if that's going to change because um, the reason I decided to actually cover this topic was because I ran a webinar in uh, February and it was incredibly well received. Maybe it was all about time. It was the end of February, just as we were, well, many of us are still feeling quite tired and exhausted. I'm recording this in early March and it will go out towards the end of March. So hopefully people will be feeling better Uh, in the UK as children have potentially gone back to school. But the reason I think it's still worth considering this topic is that I'm really aware that people are in danger of burnout. We might have held it together for the last 12 months, but that doesn't mean that, you know, we, we, we have got endless quantities of resilience. So what I'm going to cover today is Nothing that's rocket science, to be perfectly honest. I wouldn't be surprised if many of you heard this before because none of this is necessarily new. But as good old Stephen Covey says, one of my favourite 
all-time books of all time, of which I'll allude to some of his models, which is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, a very good business book, is that you know, common sense is not necessarily common practice. So I make no apologies for reminding all of us, including myself, whereas I'm at the point in a week where I had been living some fairly practical good habits. I got into some good habits getting up early and exercising and then I've been working really long hours this week and I'm feeling pretty exhausted and I am intending to get myself outside to reinvigorate myself and actually walk my talk. So I'm hoping that this might motivate you to do the same, to practice some self-care because that is the best way in which we can uh, enhance our resilience and embed and manage our long-term well-being. So what I want to cover is we're going to talk about resilience really uh, in relation to well-being. We will focus most of this from a personal point of view because this is something that you can share with others but the idea is yes we look after ourselves but this means that this particular podcast episode might be useful for you to share with other people in the team uh, and, and more broadly it's not just aimed at HR. So we'll talk about well-being and resilience, strategies for that, how we can take responsibility and control of how we feel on the long term, things about maybe choosing the right mindset, and then we'll look at positive habits and top tips. So as ever, I'll try and make it as practical as possible, and I'll try and walk my own talk. I hope you'll take one or two things away from this that might make you feel uh, a way of looking after yourself in terms of resilience. Now, what I would say is, as you listen to this, uh, if you are feeling a little bit flat or a little bit up and down, if I said, how are you feeling? That is completely to be expected. Every single time I've asked this question over the last 12 months, I've still had people, the majority of people have said they are fluctuating and an equal quantity of people have said that they are either really good or pretty bad. So your classic bell curve. Now, what I don't know is I've not never run that in regular times. Uh, and it may well be that those results would be exactly the same in regular times. But I think I feel that moods wouldn't be fluctuating as much. Uh, energy wouldn't be fluctuating as much, but I can't say that for sure. But the point of me sharing that with you is that I've now run that survey with probably about four or 500 people over the last year. And that has been a consistent message that feeling a bit up and down is completely normal. Uh, so give yourself a break if that's how you're feeling. And equally with that, as you are aware of us going or coming out of lockdown, moving back to normality in inverted commas, if you feel a bit mixed about that, that's also to be expected. There are aspects to this way of working that people might not want to let go of, maybe, you know, very happy to uh, get rid of the commute. Or on the other hand, some of us might be desperate to get back in the office. Now, the reality is, whatever we feel, this is going to be representative of the views of the people that we support. So there's a variety of views out there. There's no right or wrong. But what we can definitely say is that we need to be flexible and supportive of how people feel going forwards. And more tolerant, I think, is things are not going to snap back into place. Some people are exhausted, are worn down, their batteries need some serious recharging and it won't happen overnight. And if that's the way you feel, let's think about the things that we can do to make sure that we don't run out of energy, that battery doesn't go entirely flat, because if that happens, it's really hard to turn it round. So when I'm talking about mental health, well-being and resilience, 
I've mentioned mental health before, it is something that we can have just like physical health. And the way in which it fluctuates is going to depend on our levels of resilience. So these sustained pressures that we've been through, they could well have depleted our our energy banks, our resilience banks. And if we are depleted, then we're less able to bounce back uh, in terms of the there's a book called Bounce Back, I think, and Bounce Back Ability, which is another term for resilience. And what we need to do is almost, I suppose, think of ourselves a bit like a rubber band and bandable. How do we make sure that we are keeping that flexibility, that ability to bounce back? And prevention, the reason it's so important to do that is because prevention is better than cure when it comes to our mental health. So if we can create these habits of looking after ourselves, not take it for granted, we can keep our resilience levels topped up. And that's going to mean that even if we are fluctuating, we're not hitting rock bottom. And the reason we don't want to hit rock bottom, I've spoken about this before on the podcast, is that if you have suffered from mental illness, either it's anxiety or depression, and you get into the, that dark hole it's extremely difficult to get out of it. It might be that you end up having to go on antidepressants, nothing wrong with that, but actually the point is if you can avoid having to fall into that black hole in the first place, then it's far, far easier. It's about spotting it coming and working out your resilience, which means that you can build a wall around that sinking hole or that that we don't want to fall into, um, or we can spot it and we can move around it by choosing different mental strategies that help us feel better and control our thoughts. Now, a word on this, I read something quite recently that I thought was quite interesting is what's the difference between anxiety and stress? And I don't know whether I'll give you a moment to think about that. And certainly there's a relationship. I think if you're more anxious, you're going to feel more stressed. Um, And if you have stress, you might be waking up in the night, let's say, feeling anxious. So they do interlink. But I hadn't thought about it this way before. Stress tends to be more external. It's often to do with external factors, workload, um, external challenges, issues with people around you. Whereas anxiety is something which is more from within. So anxiety would tend, you could have external stress and actually not feel anxiety if you're not choosing the thinking strategies where you're worrying yourself down into a spiral. So, and equally, you could have high levels of anxiety, just naturally um, be somebody who you might describe yourself as a worrier, which would mean you're much more of an anxious person. I mean, it is a personality trait, anxiety and neuroticism. And if you have that tendency to think, your, your brain is more likely to overthink. So it's useful there for you to potentially think about, if you're prone to anxiety, how can you learn positive thinking strategies challenge the way you think and we'll look at some of those later in terms of things like reframing and gratitude Um, but on the other hand if you're more stressed externally stressed then how can you exacerbate or get rid of that stress in more of an external way and that might be things like socializing with others Um, it might be about exercise now I'm not saying that you shouldn't do either of those the other way around but I thought it was interesting in terms of stress and anxiety potentially come from different sources Something you can benefit from either, whether you have anxiety or um, stress, is things like thinking calm and being mindful uh, and practicing breathing techniques. Those are things that actually can keep us calm overall. And if you can match that with some sort of mindfulness, being in the moment type thinking, which I have to say I struggle with hugely, um, then, uh, then potentially you are balancing both stress and anxiety anyway. So food for thought there in terms of uh, if you're prone to anxiety or stress and what you can do in either side there. But either way, 
It is our choice and we can learn to spiral up or we can allow ourselves to spiral down. And let's face it, it's always harder walking up the stairs than it is walking down them. So building and investing in some resilience building strategies has got to be the key to our long-term well-being. And of course, embedding those in the people we work with, our family, it, helping people to do that. So how can we do that? I like to think about it that one way of, um, I suppose, being positive is about choosing to look up and forwards rather than down and back. Now, you could challenge me on that because you could argue that looking up and forward, so being very goal-oriented, is potentially something which uh, might make you worry if you don't feel you're achieving your goals or it might feel like you're putting pressure on you. So it's not supposed to be about that, but it's about maybe not dwelling on past mistakes, uh, not overthinking things. So how did I do there or what did they possibly think of me? So that's about if you're someone who's prone to anxiety um, and, and rethinking, overthinking things, it's about choosing upwards, it's upwards and onwards as opposed to dwelling on the past. Now, if you are somebody who puts stress on yourself because you are always goal-oriented and you're always looking forwards and it's the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and you're never satisfied, you're never happy, then maybe that's about us thinking about how we are in the present and practicing being happy in the present. So those, that is a way of thinking and maybe challenging how do you naturally think. But then the other key tips, I suppose, about building resilience or grit that I wanted to run through with you on this session are as follows. The first one I'm going to talk about is how we can take responsibility. And that, again, links to something that Covey talks about, um, taking responsibility for our choices, and it's about us focusing on the things that we can control. The next aspect is about how we can work on our, our mental health, the way we think. So that's about thinking strategies about reframing challenges, and it's about practicing gratitude and mindfulness. And the third one is about more external approach where we can create positive habits uh, that recharge our batteries and fend off stress. And it's about us thinking about having achievements and purpose. So being focused on what we have achieved as opposed to what we haven't. So looking at each one of those in turn, starting off with taking responsibility. There's a classic book by somebody called Viktor Frankl called Man's Search for Meaning. It's known as the classic tribute to hope from the Holocaust. And it's quite a hard-hitting example of somebody. Uh, Viktor Frankl was, uh, was within the concentration camps during World War II, and he saw people be killed around him in the concentration camps, and he was somebody who was put aside for experimentation, um, whatever that means, sounds really awful. Uh, and the way in which uh, he got through this and this reminds me, if any of you remember the story of Terry Waite, who was locked up for many years, or Nelson Mandela, is he realised that his body wasn't free. So he realised that, that people could take away his freedom, but they couldn't take away his liberty, which was his liberty of mind. He decided that he could take himself away in his mind and he could choose his thoughts. And that's the ultimate taking of responsibility. And this is linking to Stephen Covey's Seven Habits, who talks about be proactive. And the concept of being proactive is as knowing at all times that we have a choice. We have a choice about our reaction in any given situation. And we may not like the choice, but nevertheless, we do have a choice. Now, having a choice brings with it great responsibility, because sometimes that means we have to accept that we are choosing to make ourselves unhappy 
or we're choosing not to go to the gym or we're choosing to eat too much cake and chocolates and sweet and terrible diets and making ourselves feel terrible or we're choosing to stay up too late and drink too much alcohol, whatever, any of those things that we might actually be doing which are not serving our well-being, we have to accept that it is our choice. Now, it may be a habit, we might, you know, someone might have talked us into it, it might have been incredibly tempting. Nevertheless, we could have chosen to get up early, go to the gym, drink lots of water, eat healthily. All of those things are choices. Now, the whole concept of that is when we accept it, that we have a choice, even though that means that sometimes we're making choices that are not good for us, with it becomes great responsibility, but also great freedom. And that's one of the things that we can really do um, is focus on the things that we can control. If we are worrying about things and feeling quite anxious, the challenge with that means that we then feel more and more anxious. So the more we focus on things that we can do nothing about, the more anxious and stressed we feel. When we feel anxious and stressed and we focus on the things that we can't do anything about, then we start to feel like a victim and we start to blame others for the results that we're getting. So I talked about like a victim mentality. You might have heard of something called learned helplessness. So wherever we're focusing on things we can do nothing about, that's not doing us any favours. So even in situations when you can do very, very little, the proactive or the responsible thing to do, which is what Viktor Frankl did, is to just focus on what you can control. And if he, can foc- if he could focus on his mindset in a concentration camp and his mindset was he had this vision of him making it through the war and making it back to teach students about this insight that he had about his search for meaning his insight that he can even when you can control nothing else you can control your thoughts there is one thing you can do which is control how you feel or your choices in a given situation and that you still have that choice then that's a really powerful way of looking at things so again, and I say that is that's echoed if you look at how Nelson Mandela made it through 27 years locked up on Robin Island, and then with Terry Raitt, who was a, a, a prisoner, wasn't he, for I think about 18 years. So taking responsibility is tough. It takes mental strength to do that, but when you do that, it is liberating. So the challenge I would say to you is if you hear yourself blaming others, or if you hear yourself saying, oh, I can't do that because, or it's not fair, whether you're saying it out loud or otherwise, oh, I'd like to exercise, but I can't. Well, actually, is that true? Or are you choosing not to? Because we can always choose something different. Okay, you might say, actually, no, I can't because I'm not prepared to get out of bed at four o'clock in the morning in order to do it before I get on a call at five o'clock in the morning to India. Um, but actually, that's still a choice, right? you're choosing not to do that. It might well be the right choice, but it's still a choice. So taking responsibility is a big old challenge. And I've got to say, it's a brilliant thing to teach your children. Um, I've always been quite unsympathetic because I trained on the seven habits when I was in my 20s. And uh, my kids used to come along and obviously try and blame somebody else for doing something. And the challenge would be getting them to take responsibility for it themselves. They now will quote me and say to me, mummy, don't be a victim if I'm saying not fair you should load the dishwasher or something like that so there's nothing like having your um the, the the skills that you've taught your kids quoted back at you but the other way of thinking about this is when we are feeling really out of control we want to control what we can control i heard a, a psychologist on the radio in during lockdown too and they said that even when you feel you can't control anything then just find one tiny thing that, and control the hell out of it so even if it's about tidying your sock drawer just you know just 
make it the tidiest sock drawer that you've ever come across in your life. So that tiny aspect of your life, you know, control the hell out of it, whatever that might be. So we've talked there about taking responsibility, swallowing that, that uh, bitter pill that it, it, it's tough to accept that we might be making ourselves miserable because of the choices we're making. But if we do accept that, then we can also accept we might be able to make ourselves feel better if we choose to do it. Now that I would say with a caveat is that this is where we also talk about prevention though. Because if you have got into a point or you're working with people who have got to a point where um, they are actually clinically depressed, that's quite, it's, it's not very easy for them to affect that mindset. And that's why, again, I would say that's the right thing potentially to go and get antidepressants or counselling or support to help people with it. Um, this is about us stopping ourselves from going down that dark hole by controlling what we can, taking responsibility, and then that feel, makes us feel empowered and more in control. And when we feel empowered and more in control, we're less likely to feel um, depressed. So then let's think about um, our mindset. So this is more about how we can challenge the way we're thinking. And this can be useful, say, if you're someone who's prone to anxiety, maybe you overthink things, maybe you catastrophize that's the word where you know everything you over dramatize things that you start worrying and they become bigger and bigger and bigger so what you're doing in that situation is you are thinking about things and you're worrying about things that are out and out of your control what we can do there is we can reframe them so it could also be if you're somebody like that you might be a little bit glass half empty and you go all right so that circumstance that's an absolute nightmare um, it's, that's you know there's no way you know, it's, it's terribly unfair that something's happened um, that that customer's not given me that customer's left us let's say I've got a customer and they've decided they're not going to work with us anymore and they are a really important customer let's say you've, you're on a retainer with them and uh, they've been a really valuable customer to you and they've decided they're not going to work with you anymore so again we go into anxiety we might think oh no it's a nightmare I've got to get a new one how am I going to afford um, what's that impact on my revenues or you can stop and say, okay, are there any advantages to this position? And depending on the circumstance, you might go, well, I suppose on a positive note, they were a bit of a pain. So at least I don't have to work with them anymore. Um, you know, they were somebody who took a lot of energy up. Maybe it's going to give me the opportunity and free up some time for me to work with someone that I really want to work with. So there's always a positive that you can look at in a circumstance or in a situation. There really always is. It's just about how you look at it. Sometimes you have to look damn hard to find it um, but it's about reframing that situation an, an immensely personal example of mine would be my father died suddenly in 2009 and he was carer for my mum and because uh, she has uh, had um, Alzheimer's and he died really suddenly of a stroke which was a bleed and what's happened well thankfully I got there yeah, just as he'd gone unconscious, my sister was up there. But the reality was he was a doctor and it was a really, really big bleed. And, you know, I've known people who've recovered from strokes, which are great, but there was also a very high chance that he would have been a vegetable. Um, and had he, and that's sorry, that's a terrible term, but he'd have called himself a vegetable. Um, and uh, had he not died, so he had a, a bleed which resulted in him dying. And obviously, I'd much rather he hadn't had the stroke and hadn't died at all. But in those difficult circumstances, on the upside, it would have been he would have hated having to live with the stroke. He would have hated if he'd been unconscious. He would have hated being aware that he was alive, but feeling in a ve either vegetative state or unable to care for my mum, who needed caring for. The reality was because 
he did die, we were able to pull in the services, resolve situations with my mum. We were able to grieve and move on and be practical as opposed to the risk might have been they were 200 miles away. I'd have been up and down the motorway with two young kids. And it just could have been a, it could have been a worse situation than someone dying. Sometimes there are worse things that happen than people actually dying. So that is an example of reframing something in my personal life that, that, that happened. And there's, again, these are the things where if we think about these extremes, why can't we reframe other circumstances? Sometimes we think about risks. This is perhaps a, a less sort of emotional one which I thought was quite interesting when I was listening to a podcast recently where um, someone was suggesting that, that, I think it was something like an author uh, who wanted to, like, like the JK Rowling or these people who've tried things and uh, loads of times, they've got loads and loads of rejections. Someone's had seven rejections going, no one's going to accept my book or no one's going to put my book or talk about my book on the radio. And this person set themselves a goal of getting 100 rejections which I thought, isn't that interesting? So rather than trying to get, I don't know, one uh, opportunity on the radio or the media, they set themselves a goal of getting 100 rejections. Now, of course, if you set yourself a goal of having 100 rejections, then every rejection you get at some point, someone's going to say yes, right? Um, I guess unless you go out and you are obnoxious and, and make people reject you. But if you're going out and so you're, you're not seeing that as failure, I think this is the point. What we're doing in this circumstance is we're not seeing a rejection as a failure. You're seeing it as the next step that's taking you closer to a yes, taking you closer to success. So that's a really good way of reframing something and thinking, OK, it's not rejection. Fear of failure is a great thing that stops us doing. What do I need to do um, and how many negatives, how many misses do I need to get if I'm playing that basketball or netball um, before I get one in? That's the thing. So aiming for that. So those are those are good examples there about reframing things, choosing positive thoughts, how we can think about if we want to reframe something, how we can think about um, what if, what the possibilities might be, what the positives of the situation might be. So, again, challenging ourselves there. The other thing that we can do is we can try this gratitude habit. Now, I don't know if you've heard about this. Uh, in November lockdown, it's, lots of people have been doing it for ages, but many of us might feel it's a bit woo-woo. Um, however, I'm going to live with it. I think these are strange times and nothing wrong with a bit of woo-woo. So the gratitude habit, uh, some of this comes from people who believe in uh, abundance or putting things out to the universe. There's a book called um, The Magic by Rhonda Byrne, who wrote The Secret. And uh, that talks about, sorry, my cat's come and trying to help me. Uh, that talks about how we can choose gratitude to uh, to make us feel better, basically. Now, whether you believe in gratitude helping you to get what you want in life or not doesn't really matter. So don't worry about that. The point I'm going to make here is that uh, and this is thanks to a lady called Sally Wilkinson. If you Google her on uh, things, she she's nothing to do with HR. There's no reason why she'd be listening to this, but she's got her own following and she's quite a fascinating lady and a really good practical down-to-earth northerner. And she did this every day for a month in November where she'd read a chapter of this book. But the whole point of it really was about thinking, one of, one of the habits is to think about something you're grateful for. Start the day with 10 things you're grateful for every single day. And it's not just saying, oh, I'm grateful for my family, I'm grateful for my, um, my house and I'm grateful for my health and being very generic and saying the same ones each time because that's what I'd always interpreted it at before when you've seen things like gratitude journals, etc., it's actually about really feeling the gratitude. So make it, making yourself work. And if you did that every day over 30 days and don't let yourself do the same one twice, 
it really makes you have to think harder. So I got up early in the morning, I was going out walking the dogs first in a day, and actually that helped anyway. But I would also be saying, okay, so um, I'm really grateful that I live close to some outdoor space that I can go out to safely first thing in the morning. And that makes me feel alive. It's actually helping my mental health and I'm getting exercise as well. So that's a really positive way in which you can um, could do this. And the reality of it, well, it just makes you feel better, all right? If you focus on 10 positive things and you have to work them, first of all, you're gonna feel better. Second of all, you can't be worrying about things while you're feeling gratitude. You physically can't do both at the same time. So at least for that period of time, you are feeling upbeat and positive and, and gratitude. So I recommend it. So there's a book called The Magic. I recommend you check out Sally Wilkinson if you want to try it, or at the very least, just try it for a few days, but be tough on yourself. Don't just say I'm grateful for and not feel it. Think about what you're grateful for and really um, challenge yourself to come up with different thoughts. And as I say, if you think it's a bit woo-woo, don't worry about that. Just think it's a practical way in which you can stop yourself worrying because you can't be upset and worrying while you're thinking, feeling positive. And actually, we have got plenty to be grateful for in many circumstances. You know, I know it's a tough time, but we have got plenty to be grateful for as well. So it's not a bad way to um, challenge our way of thinking. All right. And then finally, oh, sorry, I'm going on a bit on a solo episode. Think about the positive habits that you can fit into your life. So positive habits, I've come up with these and, I've, and I'll run through them and I'll, what I'm going to do is I'll put the slides that I'm running through. This is a slide and I did this, as I said, as a webinar. Um, so I'll send the link to the webinar, I'll put it on the HR Uprising podcast page. So if you want to go and look at the recording of this and see the slides that go with it, um, you can access them and you can share them with others if it's useful to you. But the positive habits, again, another story, going back to seven habits. So apologies if you're sick of the seven habits. Habit seven within the seven habits is all about renewal. So Stephen Covey says that it's all very well if we practice all these habits, but what we have to do is practice regular renewal. And renewal is about us being able to uh, renew in various areas of our life. So it's not just in physical, it's, in the whole, it's about us being effective for the long term. And being effective for the long term means that we're able to, um, it's, it's almost like you're, if it's about putting petrol in the car, it's about maintenance in the things, the positive habits that keep us strong on the long term. So how can we practice renewal? Well, as I say, Covey talks about renewal in four areas. He talks about it in physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. Now, I know a lot of my audience are actually UK based and I think spiritual is something that doesn't always sit so well with that audience. So I'm choosing spiritual as mindful as what I would say fits in there, but that's fine. It doesn't mean you can't, if, if religion is your thing, then that fits in that quadrant. And all we're saying here is if you want to create positive habits is why not create positive habits in all areas. You might be a gym bunny and you're brilliant at looking after your, your physical health, but how are you about your mental health? So here's some ideas that you could think about to make sure that you're getting balance in your renewal, um, because maybe you're stronger in one, one quadrant than another. So if you're looking at physical renewal, it's about things like exercising daily. 
It's about eating nutrient-rich foods, all right? You know, we are still working at home on the whole, many of us. So why can't you make a smoothie in the morning? You can order the food in. You don't have to go and spend loads at Pret to do that. It's about us reducing stimulants, so not just reaching for the coffee. Maybe we go and drink lots of water. And sleep, by the way, sleep is one of the most important things in terms of our overall resilience. So are we doing what we need to do to get our sleep in? The second aspect is about us looking at our mental renewal. So we might do that through learning something new. It might be reading for fun rather than work related. Maybe it's about Sudoku or crosswords, learning an instrument. Gosh, who, who knew? We've discovered Simply Piano. I'm sure there's other apps out there. Um, I was I got to grade two piano when I was a child. I am now playing Furalese. Almost, you can almost recognise it, and American Pie. Who knew? That's this time's lockdown. It's amazing. And these apps that make it so much more enjoyable to learn um, a musical instrument are much easier. Lots of my friends are doing things like jigsaws or colouring or painting by numbers or learn a language. So those would be great ways of mental renewal. Perhaps challenge yourself to do something like that rather than working all the hours, something that actually is renewing you. Emotional is our third quadrant. So emotional renewal is about connecting with friends, family regularly. It doesn't have to be on Zoom, but whatever it means for you to feel connected with your family and friends. Maybe it's about watching funny TV or listening to things that make you laugh. It's about being careful about how much social media or news, how much time you allow that to suck away. It's about being open. If people say, how do you feel? Actually think about it and be prepared to share it and spend time with pets. They are great for connecting with you. They give off, they, you know, they really can be quite a great way of looking after your emotions, even if you don't feel like talking to people. And then finally, my tips for being mindful is learn how to meditate. I say I've not quite managed that myself yet, but I try. Um, gratitude that we've just talked about. Connecting with nature. So getting outside so you can get your exercise, but do it outside and practice your religion or do something kind for someone in need, something that makes you feel like giving something back or some sense of service or contribution. So those are brilliant um, examples of things that we can do that are practical for us. It's about us creating those positive habits. And my challenge to you is to think, which quadrant are you best in? Which quadrant do you need to do a bit more in? And I'm sure we can all do more. And it's great. I know that many of much of what I've talked about, you know it's common sense, but my final nod to Covey, is it common practice? So that's what this is all about. Resilience is about us being kind to ourselves, having self-compassion and turning positive habits into regular habits that are supporting us, that are making us more resilient for the long term and helping us recover from this really challenging time we've been through. So I hope you found that useful. Uh, so I'll put some links in the show notes, hruprising.com, where you can go to these slides that um, summarise some of these. They might be useful for you. Uh, we might be able to pull some of this into an infographic as well. So take, check out the show notes um, and I wish you well. Look after yourself and your well-being. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising, proudly brought to you by Actor Software, the joined up performance and talent management solution. You can access links to any of the information or resources mentioned in the show via the podcast page at www.hruprising.com. If you like what we do, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and leave a review. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising. 